Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again, everybody, and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York City, still on lockdown, still trying to figure out a way to make it across the river to start playing in some of those juicy WSOP.com home games. Uh, (laughs) I did have a chance to play a little bit on America's Card Room the other night. I know that uh, many of you have mixed feelings about ACR, but for those of us that live outside of the three magical states where online poker is actually regulated here in america we don't have many options so i have been playing a little bit on acr and one really fun thing that happened as we mentioned last week on the podcast uh we had a tpe 10-year anniversary tournament so it was a dollar 65 to play and for your privilege of spending a dollar 65 you could play against some of the toughest poker players in the world it was a really really tough tournament and we actually have as a guest this week the winner of that tournament which was awesome it was the 10-year anniversary of the the beginning of tournament poker edge just last week and uh with the field of i think it was about 60 or 70 players and our winner was Dylan Tomasi. Dylan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. And congrats on the big win. I know that the money that you got from winning that tournament is not worth how hard it was to win because that was a pretty tough game, wasn't it? Yes, it was, actually. <laughs> uh, I know it was mostly for fun and all that, and you get to play with everybody uh, from TPE, but I, it was actually on a Sunday, so it was alongside all of my other uh, bigger tournaments that I play on Sundays. And I took it seriously. <laughs> I played, you know, my normal game and, you know, did what I had to do to, to win. And I got lucky here and there, like, you know, it happens in tournaments. But, you know, I didn't play, like, uh, any any differently than I would have in another, you know, like $200 tournament. So Yeah, for sure. We had lots of members. Um, Dylan here is actually uh, a TPE pro. Um, and many of the TPE pros were playing in this event. This dollar sixty-five tournament, we had the likes of Casey Jarzabek and Mark Alioto, and of course Killing Bird, which I was following along uh, while playing in the tournament. I was also following along on uh, Killing Bird's Twitch stream, which uh, he really seemed to be taking the celebratory ac- uh, aspect <laughs> <laughs> of this yep. pretty far. Um, at one point, he disappeared, and we weren't sure if he was coming back. I lost count of how many beers he had. Were you watching? <laughs> I wasn't, no. <laughs> I, I tuned in uh, towards the end when he was uh, when he was streaming at uh, the, the final couple tables, and yeah, I lost them also. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It was a it, there was a lot to celebrate. Um, yeah, definitely. For a poker training site like TPE to last for ten years and to be thriving through all the ups and downs, you know, as Derek mentioned last week on this podcast, uh, when he started TPE, almost to the day a year later is when Black Friday happened, and if that didn't put the website under, I guess nothing would. So we yeah. survived a lot, and now we are surviving the worldwide pandemic of coronavirus and we'll survive whatever else comes our way so it was definitely a night of celebration some really fun um you know stuff going on on the stream and in the chat 
and of course uh, at the tables, which I thought the dollar sixty-five price point was just perfect for this, so that Derek could re-enter as many times yeah. as his drunk self wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, congrats to Derek and all of TPE for you know making it ten years and hopefully at least ten more. So, yeah, yeah, it's a yeah. big deal for him, and uh, I'm happy for him. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, you and Derek are good friends, so does that prove that the tournament was fixed to begin with? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he has the ability to input all the, the luck factor and all that, and he gave it all to me, so I'm happy. happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and how much was your cash prize for this? 35 bucks. Wow. All right, well, yeah. don't spend it all in one place, okay? I'll try not to. i got to save that. <laughs> Yeah. So tell the folks about yourself and uh, the, you know how you started your relationship with Tournament Poker Edge. Um. All right. So I'm a professional player. I've been playing for uh, seriously for about 11 or 12 years, and maybe 15 or so total. Um. And I got started playing the smallest stakes that you could find. You know, dollar tournaments. And um, you know, over time, I you know was working a job and playing. Um. You know, all those. Sub five dollar buy-ins, just building a bankroll. Um, you know, my friends made fun of me and all that stuff, but I was steadily grinding and and building, and eventually decided to to quit my job and start playing seriously. Um, and then so later on, I actually met. It was uh, some people here are probably familiar with them. Danny Noseworthy. Sure, Danny N. Yeah, we know yes, Danny. Yep. Yeah, he's from Canada, and I think we had just been friends online. And we finally met in real life one summer uh, out here in Vegas, and and then he introduced me to Mark and I think Casey and Derek, and so they were all you know obviously on TPE already, um, and so we became like good friends, um, and then it kind of just became. Uh, you know, they. I think they had eventually asked me to to join the site for them as a pro, and of course I said yes. And um, yeah, I think you know ever since then I've I've only made like a few videos. Uh, hopefully I can get back into it. Um, just been grinding more more so than than making any kind of content. But um, but yeah, so uh, I actually have a video coming out. Um, just got the text from uh, Diego. He said May 8th will be part one. So that video will be uh, – it should be a really good one. I'm looking forward to it. Is it all about how to win a $1.65 tournament against some of the toughest pros? I think so. I think you could probably <laughs> apply some of those concepts to $1.65 tournaments uh, and end up winning. <laughs> Terrific. But yeah, That's so great. It, yeah. It was, it was kind of cool. Danny had always been a really good friend of mine. Um, I don't know how much he grinds these days. I haven't, we we kind of lost touch just a little bit because yeah. he uh, – you know, he had a kid, and um, he was coming out to Vegas every summer, and we were always hanging out. So, um, but he stopped doing that. So um, yeah. So you have a top yeah, he was always really good. You have a top 100 finish in the World Series of Poker back in 2016. Um, yeah. And I know that was probably your biggest live score to date. Yes. Um, and that, I was just thinking, you know, for a guy who started off playing one dollar tournaments online and built his bankroll slowly and gradually. To eventually play the 10K main event and finish in the top 100 and win like over eighty thousand dollars, that must have been uh, quite a thrill. And slow and steady won the race. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much like the dream, right? You know, like you you grind, you know, hours, you know, like days, months, years 
to to be able to play a tournament like that, and I'm fortunate enough, fortunate enough to be able to do that every year uh, now. Um, but yeah, that tournament was one of the most insane tournaments I've ever played. Just being around the cameras, you know, like some of the toughest pros, um, you know, grinding 12 hours a day for I think I can't remember. If, I still can't remember if it was day five or day six that I made, but either way, it was still just like grueling. Like you don't, you don't like, you don't really think about it in the moment. It's kind of just like your adrenaline is just keeping you going. Um, but yeah, once I would I say was, probably if you got seven. What did you get? Seventy sixth or seventy ninth? Yeah, so that was probably like end of day five, I would guess. It was well, I busted the beginning of one of the days. So that must so, have been day so, six then, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I remember just finally being done. I busted the tournament pretty early on day six. I don't know how much sleep I had, but I just got in my car. And I walked out when I was done and just sat in my car just for a while, just like, holy cow, like that happened. <laughs> you know, like, what, you know, just kind of thinking about what could have happened if I did better uh, or, you know, just kind of things like that just kind of just ran through my head. But yeah, that was that was probably the most fun I've ever had playing a tournament. And I'll definitely never forget that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, the listeners know I've I've actually finished in the top 100 twice in the main. Yeah, event, I remember that. I it, remember one of the recent ones. Oh my god, it's uh, you know, it's something that you just—it's almost surreal. Like I've I've said here on the program before. Like for me, it's almost like it was happening to someone else. Like I was yeah. watching a movie about a guy named Clayton that was going really <laughs> deep in the main event and uh-huh. had a shot at ten million dollars or whatever it was. <laughs> uh, Is this a, real? Is this real life? Yeah. Yeah, such a crazy feeling. Yeah. Just, just something, uh, you know, so like unique to be a part of. Like, it may, it may not ever happen again, but hopefully it will. And yeah, try to cherish it in the moment. Sure. So you're living in Vegas now, and I'm sure yeah. everything's you know fully shut down out there. What's it like out there in Vegas these days? Um, well, so like before all this happened, I was, um, you know, Vegas was having they'd have like a ton of live tournaments going on, especially like like before I said like probably like the last three months or so of uh, 2019 and the beginning of this year. There was a ton of live tournaments. I mean, you know, Venetian had some stuff. The wind was starting to put out a bunch of good tournaments, um, and then the circuit came around. I think two or three times, so there was uh, a ton of live stuff going on, and I was splitting my time between live and online, um, and probably about half and half or so. Where usually it's probably usually it's mostly online. Um, so now, like everything shut down, can't go to the casinos. Uh, I'm playing strictly online. And there's there's a bunch of good stuff online as well. Um, you know, obviously traffic's super uh, super high right now, which is great. You know, the prize pools are huge, and um, and yeah, so I'm playing WSOP.com, a little bit of ACR uh, ignition here and there. Um, I'm supposed to be getting on bet online, but not too sure. I don't, you know, I only have so much table space, so I think three is enough. Three sites is enough, but um, but yeah, so. Between uh, just uh, grinding as much as I can, I'm trying to do a little studying here and there, and you know, just a normal normal life, I guess, for me. Not not a whole lot has changed, I guess. Um, pretty much stay at home most most days anyway. So. Yeah, unlike me, you actually are really comfortable with the with the online setup. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of having to relearn. Like I had an online background like way back in like. 
maybe uh-huh. 2002, 2003. Okay. When I was really grinding online. I was playing on Paradise Poker and Party mm-hmm. Poker and Poker Room. Yep. Doyle's room, room. yeah, and all these old (laughs) sites that, you know, a lot of our listeners are probably too young to even know about. Right. Uh, The early days of of online poker and before you really had to worry about whether your opponents were bots and who had a HUD and whatever else. Um, (laughs) But then, you know, I really started getting more interested in live poker, especially after Black Friday. Once that all happened, I pretty much gave up online poker, but now I've only recently started to get, you know, back into it. So, yeah, uh, for me, it's been quite a transition because I just don't enjoy it anywhere nearly as much as, you know, I'm an outgoing guy. I like to be for with sure. people. So it's it's no fun for me sitting at home. I, I can't say it's no fun, but I, I definitely prefer right. the live game. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you seem like you kind of were always comfortable with both. And yeah. you know, especially from starting with one dollar. Now, was your reason for playing so small in the beginning just because you wanted to kind of build your bankroll the right way and were you a bankroll knit or tell us a little bit about that i was uh i was actually probably a knit more so than i should have been uh um i don't remember if i gave myself a certain bankroll to start with or anything like that but i mean i didn't have like a ton of money you know i was working i was working a job i was going to school um and i i just had always been the kind of person to save my money and just not spend recklessly or anything like that so so, you know, I'd always read up on bankroll management. That was one thing that was that I knew that I knew was super important if you wanted to make it in poker was you know, um, you know, managing your bankroll. And um, I knew I had to have a certain number of buy-ins to play um, a certain level uh, at a certain stake. You know, so if I had if I was playing dollar tournaments, I probably had like you know a few hundred dollars. Um, and as I, as the results were coming in, you know, I continued that, that um, I continued to have that many, you know, buy-ins at that level. So, you know, if I had, if I wanted 200, I would, that's what I would keep. So, uh, so if I moved to five dollar tournaments, I had a thousand, you know, and then just kept going up as my bankroll increased. Um, and I, I took know. some shots here and there. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like my friends, like I said, were making fun of me, uh, but they were always playing twenty dollar, fifty dollar tournaments. Sometimes they get lucky in cash or whatever, or sometimes win, but that was pretty rare. But they were always reloading their bankroll and never seemed to be able to to continuously play those stakes that they wanted because they didn't, you know, they don't. You can't really sustain that unless you you have a bunch of disposable money to to throw away at tournaments. Yeah. Now if you have, uh, if you have another income, you can take more shots. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for me, like I normally, in my normal life, I have my comedy career and some writing things that I do and I do some teaching. So like I have other sources of revenue, so I could maybe mm-hmm. take a shot. Like if I had a thousand dollars online, I can guarantee I would be playing higher than $5 tournaments. And I, <laughs> but I'm also thinking like about probably a lot of people listening to this, that are thinking, wow, he had so many buy-ins. That seems crazy. But you got to remember, like this is a guy that was, uh, you know, he wasn't wealthy to begin with, and he mm-hmm. didn't want to ever have to reload. So yeah. instead of like taking a shot and then saying, okay, when well, I'm gonna put some more money on, take another shot, you kind of went the uh, the proper way. Um, yeah. You know, like kind of the mathematicians would call it risk of ruin right so mm-hmm. it's the chance that you're going to be out of action 
And yeah. in your case, especially in the beginning when you didn't have a lot of money and you were a student and you're working a job, but it doesn't sound like it was a very high paying job. No. Uh, yeah, not, not at all. Then you really had a, you know, you had a decision to make. Like if I'm going to take some big risk with this money, if I lose it, it might take me a long time to replenish it. And yeah. so that's part of the, that's part of the equation is the more difficult it would be for you to replace your bankroll, the more steps you should take to protect it. Yeah. And so it sounds to me like you're one of those rare individuals that did it the right way coming up. Yeah, I was on um, PocketFives.com, and they had a lot of strategy. They had one one really good uh, bankroll management article that I could. It was probably still out there, but um, but yeah, I think one one key thing was that I wasn't really like cashing out. You know, I had since I had a job, I was still making money. I didn't I didn't necessarily wasn't playing to to make money and pay my bills. I was playing to build a bankroll, so I wasn't cashing out or anything like that unless I had a big score. Um, and so I think that helped me build it, uh, a little easier. Um, not that, that it was super easy. Um, but yeah, it's kind of cool to see there was a site that tracked all the tournaments. It was officialpokerrankings.com. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Yeah, I remember that site. But it, it tracked, uh, poker stars and full tilt pretty well. And if you look up my, uh, my names on there, just scroll all the way to the bottom. You see, I started off on $1 tournaments and you can see how, how the buy-ins increased and, you know, you can <laughs> see the results come in. It's pretty cool. Like, I, um, I'll still look at it like every once in a while, like, I don't know, like once a year or something. <laughs> well, you should because it should be a great source of pride for you. I don't know how many of us would have the patience. You yeah. Know, to think, well, I have a thousand dollars in my account, you know, even if I win this $1 tournament. The prize is going to be like sixty bucks. So right. who cares? I, <laughs> yeah, I actually don't even remember. Like, um, I don't really remember like playing in those tournaments. You know what I mean? Like, in and starting that low, like, and how how grueling it must have been to, to yeah. grind out those stakes. I don't remember any of that. I just remember that I did it, and uh, and uh, that's yeah, that's how I built my bankroll. You did it the right way. So, it's very cool. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and coming up in those $1 tournaments really prepared you for that big $1.65 event exactly. that, you, that you crushed the other I, night. So, yeah, I had yeah. to channel, channel my inner 2008, <laughs> yeah. the Dylan, and, uh, and crush these guys, and it, and it worked out in my favor. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, were there any interesting hands from that tournament that you wanted to tell us about? Maybe like any bad beats you put on one of the pros or anything that uh, you there, wanted to? There was actually a couple of bad beats late, very deep. I think like even like three handed was the was the the big one. But um, <laughs> I had a couple of spots against uh, one dull geek. He's yeah. a he's a member of uh, TPE. Mm-hmm. Uh, can't remember his name. Yeah, Mark. he was the chip leader for a long time, actually. Yeah, um, I'll get to that in a sec. But I had one spot with aces, uh, and it, you say, "Oh, aces! Well, that must be easy. You can do you can do whatever you want <laughs> with aces." But um, I actually have it up on my poker tracker right here, so I'll go through it and um, kind of explain my process, my thought process. Um, so, a player I Kristen opens off thirteen big blinds at uh, seven thousand, fourteen thousand blinds. We're we're eight handed. Uh, so they open to to min twenty eight thousand off thirteen. I have fifteen big blinds, and uh, we're both. Uh, I think it's. I think I Kristen is. 
is a female member of TPE. I'm not, I don't know her personally, but I'll, so I'll call her she. Um, but she opened uh, under the gun one. I'm under the gun two. So we're both in like you know early middle position, and off 15 big blinds with aces, you know obviously an easy option would be to just go all in. Um, but we have so much fold equity um, with this stack size that you know you don't you obviously don't want this person to fold. Um, and off when somebody opens off 13 big blinds from early position, like they shouldn't have too many raise folds, but they're gonna have some. And I think risking going all in off on the chance that they have one of those raise folds, uh, we're just gonna be not making as much money as we can. Yeah, I definitely think with this stack, and especially from this position. Now, is this the final table here? This is final two table. Final oh no, two. actually, this was this was early. Uh, I think I like just registered. Uh, not too long before this. So this was like maybe like the third orbit I've played or something. Okay. So uh, there's probably a few tables. I mean, there was only how many do we say sixty people total? Yeah, something like that. Um. So yeah, there was probably at least a few tables left. Okay. Yeah, I mean, with the re-entries and everything, if you won $35, then it must have been something like 100 total entries. But, yeah, I think there were 60 yeah. unique individuals playing. Right. Um, yeah. So, all right, so we're not that close to the end of the tournament yet. But, yeah, certainly with these stacks, I would absolutely agree with the decision to just flat here. Um, yeah. A lot of good things can happen when you flat. Uh, you know, you could maybe get some action behind you. Maybe one of the shorter stacks behind you looks at it and says, you know, I'm just going to shove with ace queen yeah. or whatever here. Yeah, um, like seven maybe, small, smaller pairs, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, smaller pairs, pocket eights, something like that, you know. Like, Especially I don't know. Just, just all those hands that, uh, you know, if we were to, to three bet or even shove, that they would just have to fold. So you want to you have them keep their options open with some of those weak hands. Yeah. Uh, no. if, if they don't really, sorry, if they don't really... Um, expect you to be flatting aces here. Sure, and if you have you know a, a much bigger stack, then you're taking a big chance by just flatting with aces, and it's a lot more mm-hmm. um, debatable. But I think with these stacks, with I Kristen only having 13 bigs and you having 15, I'm a huge fan of just calling here. Now, mm-hmm. what could happen is four more people call behind us, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the worst case scenario because then. We just have to be really careful about not going broke with one pair. But the problem is our SPR is going to be super low. Our stack mm-hmm. to pot ratio, if we get that yeah. much action, it's yeah. going to be hard to fold. Like if it comes, say, like 10-7 deuce, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably good. So you're probably just going to go broke when somebody behind you gets lucky and flops a set. And you're giving yeah. a lot of people a chance to do that. Yeah, um, I, I was fortunate enough that in this tournament, it, it kind of played like a turbo. Um so even though we were only like I think I ended up late regging, there was like I think there was like a small issue with um this kind of <laughs> this kind of funny. There's an issue like getting the tournament set up right. and there there was two two TPs. I know a few are I was playing the first one and we were three handed. Oh no. Uh and it it had only ended up getting like like ten like less than ten people probably. And so I so I had like max late regged the the right one. Um, I don't know what happened there, by the way, but I'm just going to go ahead and blame Derek. Yeah, I think he was probably at fault for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, (laughs) So anyway, like I, so this tournament was actually moving fast already, and I was fortunate enough in this spot that you're not. It's not the same. Like if I was, uh, you know, like 
30 minutes to an hour into a normal tournament. You know, stacks would be pretty deep. But as I'm looking at this here, the two blinds had just over 20 bigs each, and the three behind me had around 40. So we weren't super deep, and, you know, it was, it was kind of a spot where I didn't think um, people would just be calling. We would go, like, I didn't think we'd go, like, four ways to the flop, so that that wasn't really an issue in this particular spot. Right, which is kind of a function of those smaller stack sizes. People yeah. tend to play their hand a little more decisively. It's not mm-hmm. about like trying to see a flop with a suited connector or something when you just have a short yeah. stack. So, yeah. yeah, awesome. All right, so we we call and then what happens? Uh, so everybody else folds. Oh no no sorry, folds to the uh, big blind who calls. Um, big blind has 270k, so they had 21 big blinds to start. Um, so they have they have us covered, and now Kristen has a. Uh, 1.5 SPR. She has 150k, and there's 100k in the pot, and I have her slightly covered with 185k. Flop was queen jack five, two hearts. And we have a heart or no? No heart. Okay. So it's not my favorite flop, but I mean, with these stacks and you know this ratio between our stack and the pot, I I don't imagine I don't imagine not getting broke. Mm-hmm. We have to be willing to go to the felt with this hand, I think. Yeah. So. Um. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. If not uh, on the flop for whatever reason, then definitely on the by the turn for sure. Yeah. Um, so big blind checks. Kristen C uh, and when Kristen C bets uh, one fourth pot. And um, and I wouldn't expect her to be super light here, even betting one fourth pot. Um, she's gonna end up leaving herself less than pot. On the turn, if I just call, um, and we blo- we do block like some ace queen and ace jack. I don't know what her like c betting range would consist of, um, but again, like I said, I wouldn't expect her to be super light. So probably a lot of queen x, perhaps uh, kings, and then like I don't know, like some flush draws. Um, yeah, I'm gonna agree with you here again, um, and the reason why I don't think her sizing is that revealing because she's just she's so she's so short now mm-hmm. so even if she just bets a quarter pot here she's gonna have just you know less than a pot size bet left on the on the turn so mm-hmm. it doesn't really matter what she bets the fact that she's betting at all into two opponents here i think yeah. she should probably have something um yeah. i'd say the worst hand she should be betting here might be like king jack or obviously you know a draw like king 10 but i don't even know if she yeah. opens that with 15 bigs Mm-hmm. 13 bigs uh, uh, in the first place, so not yeah. sure. Yeah, I so, think in general, in general, like anybody that's playing, like um, I think any, just anybody, any like competent player here wouldn't bet middle pair. Um, so I didn't expect her to have too much jack x. Um, I, I expected that it was like whatever, like a queen-ten suited, like king-queen, and then, and if she ever has some ace-queen somehow, then that's obviously great for us. Um, so I expected, like, a lot of queen-x, whatever, however that is possible, king-queen, you know, there's not much queen-jack left, uh, queen-ten suited, and then, like, king-ten, I don't, I just don't know if she has, like, ten-nine in her range, ten-nine suited, um... Can you elaborate a little bit for us on why a competent player wouldn't be betting 
a hand like King Jack or second pair or worse? I think at this SPR uh, in in these particular positions, they don't want to get blown off second pair. So if they bet second pair and get raised, then you're at a really tough decision. Uh, your opponent your opponent can't really be bluffing too often. I think especially off these stack sizes and and, and the spot. So you're better off you're better off like trying to get to showdown with with the hand like second pair. Um, and start bluff catching, um, or just kind of just deciding. You know, you're still in a tough spot anyway with the second pair, no matter what. Um, but you're better off for sure, just bluff catching and um, you know, trying to get your opponent to do something silly and uh, perhaps um, see some weakness in, in checking when you have second pair. So right. So you think it plays better as a check call generally? Yeah. Okay. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, but, but I think if you have a hand like King Jack and you flop a jack and you're that close to pot commitment already because you only have 13 big blinds to start the hand, mm-hmm. I think it's pretty hard to get away from it, even though it's only second pair with second best kicker. And yeah. we're saying King Jack because it's just ace jack is so hard for her to actually have because you have two of the aces. So Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So just one more thing with the, like if she were to have King Jack, um, I think you're much better off check calling like if you're going to go broke if you decide you're going to go broke with this hand you're much better off check calling twice you know like um like if the turns are brick so like if you check call flop and then you know you have less than pot and your opponent shoves and you're like well i think i think i might be good here you know i checked middle pair or yeah middle pair um you might think i'm super weak here um i think you're better off so i think you're better off check calling twice than bet calling like on the like bet calling a raise on the flop, if that makes sense. Because you don't think there'll be many so, bluffs, bluff raises right. in your opponent's hand, right? Yeah, that I does make a lot of sense. Yeah, I think there's, there's less bluffing on the flop than there would be if you were to to check call. There's less bluff raising on the flop yes. because yes. we're so short stacked. We don't yeah. expect that our opponent thinks he has much fold equity if we right. fire. So yeah. when we get raised on the flop. It's hard to put our opponent on a bluff, and then we do kind of have to fold second pair. Yeah. That's interesting. So even though it kind of defines your hand, it could just cost you more money, I yeah. guess. It, it's, 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 it's still a tricky spot no matter what. Like Yeah. Like, like I said, you kind of just have to you know, just reevaluate, I think, on the turn uh, if you're chuck calling. You know, like like if you already decided I'm already going to salmon or something, it might not matter. But All right. But, Oh, yeah, I think it's a slightly better option. Okay, so now going back to Dylan's shoes with the pocket aces here, when Kristen leads, um, now is it time to raise, or should we just slow play our hand as we did pre-flop? So, yeah, so my options are to raise, probably just shove. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't think anything else, I don't think raising would be much different. Raising small might, might look a little stronger, I'm not sure. Um so shove or call, and I decided with with one player behind me to just call um, and just not fold on any turn. Um, I think you know heart would have been scary, queen would have been scary, uh, but I 
I don't know. Queen would have probably been the toughest card to, to call, but uh, <laughs> it would be, you know, if, it, if a queen falls on the turn, maybe I messed up, maybe not. But um, that would be pretty unlucky, I think, anyway. But I think I just want to call with somebody behind, and if she has some sort of bluffs, then to just let her shove on the turn. Yeah, the problem with the queen coming is your opponent could still have pocket kings, and so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess that would yeah. kind of kill action. Yeah, so if a, uh, if a queen comes and she bets again, though, right? I, I don't. I still don't think we can fold our aces because it just yeah. there's no there's you can't be that sure for these stacks. You can't be that sure that the queen c- killed you. But that's yeah. definitely the card we're rooting against when we when we flat call the flop. Yeah, I guess yeah. even a, ki- a king wouldn't have been super great either. Uh, but I was willing to take my chances uh, with just calling here. Um. Because, like I said, I think she's going to be on the top of her range most of the time. Sure. Um, so I, I was taking a slight risk uh, with just calling, but I think with a player behind, it's probably better. Uh, maybe he decides to spaz with with the worst top pair, or you know, if he has a flush draw or a straight draw or something, that's fine. I'm happy to get it in here. Yeah, um, we're really so, yeah. only worried about Queen Jack. Or yeah. or Kristen having flopped a set, which is of course possible but unlikely. Yeah, so, I yeah. think she would play. I think she would choose the same sizing as well. So yeah, um, it it kind of didn't matter. I flatted aces and yeah, we're uh, not gonna uh, fold. Them. No you folding. don't flat you don't flat <laughs> aces off fifteen bigs to try to find a fold, a hero right. fold in a one dollar tournament. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was more of like it was more of like trying to assign her a range and and narrow it narrow it down. Um, but yeah, I think so. Once we get to this point, uh, we're we're either setting her up to let her shove on the turn or letting her check call off on the turn. Sure. Uh, and so, so yeah, I just the, I just called. And the big blindfolded. Big blindfolded. Okay, so we're heads up with Kristen, and we have no chips left. <laughs> yeah. So so now she has 125k into 150. Right. Um. Turn turn was a four of clubs. Okay. Great so card. Up, yeah. Yeah. And she sh- and she shoves, so we have to call. Snap call. Yeah. Yep. And she had king queen. Okay, that was one of the hands we thought she might have, and you know, you yeah. correctly kind of ascertained that when she bets the the flop into two opponents, one of whom who called on her immediate left, which to me that's always a sign of strength. Like if a competent player calls my raise from early position, yeah. and he's in my immediate left, like that's usually like, well, that's probably not somebody screwing around. Right yeah. there, right. That's not like a six of diamonds, right? <laughs> Ever. <laughs> yeah. Also, also, it's um, it's kind of interesting because I think she can choose this hand also as a check call with king queen, uh, and and it goes along with the you know the same theory of just having like middle pair. Like I think it it'll play just as well as a check call. Um, it'll be I think it'll be pretty hard to get called twice by worse. Um. When you uh, when you bet shove in her spot, I'm not saying she played it wrong or anything like that, but I think it would also function pretty well as a, as a check call. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, so you could been... have some. I mean, there aren't that many, but you could have some kind of flush draw, like maybe a, I don't know, yeah, ace ten of hearts. Would you have? Yeah, I guess that might be a hand you might have in your calling range. Yeah, I would first. Uh, yeah, I'd probably call that sometimes and shove sometimes. Um, but yeah, I, I I picked this hand because um, I think 
a lot of people are a little maybe hesitant to, to just flatten the spot. They just want to shove. They, they maybe think that this person is always raise calling pre-flop or um, they just don't know any other way to play, like uh, like aces in the spot. Um, and and I think it kind of just shows that like if I were to shove, they would have folded. So we don't want that, um, especially when we have aces. I would I would rather choose like uh, you know like a middle pair or like an ace jack offsuit to shove here. Um, but yeah, I think this one worked out really well in our favor, and I think it's um, if if you're not already doing this, uh, if you don't already have this play in your arsenal, then I think it's definitely good to to start incorporating it. Yeah, so that's a good hand. So you end up uh, basically getting the full double. You know, mm-hmm. if you include the big blind that came along, then you basically doubled your stack on this on this hand. And it was that kind of. Uh, it wasn't that long after you bought in, so now this yeah, is so what the, kind of gave you one of the chip leads. This was a little earlier in the tournament. It it put me in the middle of the pack. I think I had lost a few small pots before that, or maybe just even just blinds and annies. Um, right. Had, you know what? I, I just remember. I'm sorry to interrupt you, Dylan, but I just remembered I want to tell the listeners that might not have participated in the tournament. This tournament, you started with 125,000 chips. I just remembered that. So these numbers sound really big. Yeah, these these numbers sound like they're really big numbers, but these are kind of like starting stack numbers here. Yeah. So it was just, I don't know. That was the tournament, the private tournament that Derek set up for TPE. He wanted to start off pretty deep for those who bought in right at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And mm-hmm. then, of course, the turbo structure to like you know make it end within four or five hours. We didn't want to right. be playing this thing all night, right, for a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that I mean, like I said, I had late registered, so that put me um, kind of towards the top, but but still like in the middle of the pack because there there had already been a lot of play that I missed out on. Yeah. Uh, but it definitely. Um, Helped me navigate my way through the tournament. You know, I was able to open up a little bit more. Um, I can't remember if I got into any uh, smaller all-in confrontations that I lost, but if if so, if I did lose them, I was able to absorb some of that um, uh, hit to my stack. Um, yeah, well, that's one of the b- best things about having an above-average stack in a tournament is that you can kind of sustain some mm-hmm. body blows that you just can't when you're short. You know, when when yeah. you're in a coin flip for all the chips. And you're the one who's actually all in, you know, that you have to win that pot. But if you have right. a big stack to begin with, maybe yeah. losing a, a coin flip might just put you at an average stack, which would be fine, you know. Yeah. So that's why, obviously, it's such an advantage to be one of the bigger stacks. Not that you need to try to spew it off like I usually do, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it is nice to just be able to take, a, you know, a bad beat or a cooler uh, mm-hmm. without necessarily having to go broke. So, yeah. yeah, did you have any other uh, hands from that event or any yeah. other hands at all? So there was a couple more, maybe like two or three more spots where it was it was against one particular player that I uh, mentioned earlier. Um, his name is Mark Wundell Geek. He's a, he's a TP member. And so we were getting a little bit deeper in the tournament, and um, I had spots where I had... Okay, one of them was A7 suited, and he was, he was um, raising... So his RFI, his raise first in, was pretty high um, as we were playing. I think it was probably close to 30, which is pretty high, um, and from all positions. Um, so he's a he's a good candidate to start three betting. Um, he should be he should have a lot of raise folds, you know, if if his RFI is super hot high. 
Um, so I had um, these are just going to be like I'll just run through these pretty quick. But okay. I, I decided I decided I wanted to start three betting him, no matter like what stack size I had. Um, but he opens a cutoff, um, and I have 25 big blinds in the um, small blind. And I actually think I could shove here, uh, and it wouldn't be too bad just because he's opening so much. I just expect him would expect him to fold, but I guess I didn't really want to risk my entire stack. Um, so I three-bet him um, just under 3x from the small blind versus cutoff, and he calls. And the flop was king 9-5. You, you didn't tell us what you have yet. Oh, sorry, a7 suited. Uh, maybe you did. Sorry. Okay, yeah, that sounds familiar. I, I may have. I'm not okay. sure. All right. Um, so it's King Nine Five, and I kind of went over this in my last video or the video that's coming out, where when you three bet and your opponent uh, just calls, they're very rarely, if ever, going to have Ace King. Um, Ace King fits a lot more into our range than theirs. They could certainly have some King X, um, you know, like King Queen, King Jack suited, maybe King Ten suited, stuff like that. But we're just gonna have a, a King High board covered. Uh, uh, much higher uh, frequency than them. So um, this is a very good board for me, and I decided to see about uh, 81k, which I think was probably looks like one third or so, which sets up like a turn shove. I have a7 suited and uh, spades. There's one spade, so I could I could decide to shove or uh, do whatever if I pick up some equity on the turn. Um, I like this a lot, and I agree with you that. This is a much better flop for hero than for villain because, mm-hmm. you know, for all the reasons you said, like we have a lot more ace king um, and even better. You know, we have all the we're uncapped, right? Mm-hmm. So we're the pre-flop three better. Um, yeah. When you when you three bet, did did you tell us the sizing on that? So he opened to. Uh, yes, I just he was he opened to 45 and I was I went to 120. Three, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's so not just a, under three x. Yeah, that, you you said that just under three x. That's not an insignificant amount. Like that's not a trivial call for him. No. So, so and, then, it, and it's a um, like a, a sizing I would use for all, all of my you know value hands as well, especially off the stack size. Um, so if yeah. I had aces, kings, ace king, I, I would probably choose the same sizing. So I wanted to conce- keep it balanced and consistent. And it's uh, nice to have an ace in our hand too, yeah. because then we block all those premium hands that he he has the less chance of having now. So yeah, and, um, and a suited ace out of position against a guy who's RFIing like super high is going to play from the small blind probably way better than just like a flat. Uh, it'll play much better as a three bet. So yeah, especially uh, from a late position open from a guy that's been opening a little too much. I mean, he's taking a few liberties here. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. I love it. I love it. So um, yeah, and I, and I like betting one third on the pot on the flop because you know we're pretty sure he doesn't have a king. Maybe he flats with a king queen. I, I yeah. hate to be in his shoes holding king jack. Right. You know, I, I don't even so, think I would call your. Uh, uh, he only had thirty big blinds. So yeah. If, you know, if he if we get it somehow get it all in, you know he's at risk to have five big blinds if he loses. So yeah, it's a pretty significant pot for him. Pretty tough spot for him. Yeah. But, I like it. I like the way you took the reins so here I, and 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 mm-hmm. took control of the hand. Yeah. So so I see about and he called, and at this point I was I was kind of just done with the hand. Um, I did say I would probably 
shove some of the time uh, if I were to pick up some equity. Um, so the turn actually gave me a gutter. It was a six. So it was five, nine, king, six. Um, so now I have a gut, a gut shot, and I have the option to shove here or just check and fold. And I decided to just check. Um, I didn't really know. This was the first, I think, the first time I three-bet him. So I didn't know what to make of his flatting range uh, with these particular stacks. Um, you know, he's a good player, and he's definitely capable of, of flatting some strong hands. Um, he could be trapping some of the time. So I was a little uh, a little hesitant to, to pull the trigger here with, like, an all-in. And so I checked. Um and he checks behind. I think I would have shoved the turn. I mean, I'm you know, I'm too aggressive, and the yeah. more I talk to more and more TPE pros, and the more I work on my game, I realize that I just take too many risks mm-hmm. uh, in the tournament. And something that I'm working on is just trying to like slow down my aggression a little bit. But yeah. you know, here we have a gut shot and an overcard, and an opponent who probably doesn't have a king. Yeah. So I mean, I feel like just putting maximum pressure on him. Right. Since we I have guess, all the ace king and all the aces and all the kings, mm-hmm. so yeah. But I, I guess also I go ahead. I'm sorry, I didn't really say what my stack was. I had 246k left with 440k in the pot, so yeah, obviously I have a perfect shove stack. But like I said, I didn't know what to make of his range. Um, I kind of I kind of got myself into a weird spot, and this happens. Um, didn't didn't really know what to do or what was best in this in this particular instance. Shoving well, would have been fine for sure. What would you have done had an ace hit the turn? I probably still shove. Okay, or a seven? Uh, seven, I would just check. Oh, yeah. uh, and I don't know if I would uh, end up trying to bluff a seven on the river. Um, you know, if, if I think he has something like I don't know, like a, maybe like a ten nine suited or something. You know, like second pair, try to bluff him off of that. I'm, yeah. I like I said, I didn't know what to make of his range, and it was, it was just a weird, weird spot where stacks are so shallow that, um, yeah, I just I wasn't sure where I was at. Yeah, and his call on the flop is pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but still, yeah, I, that gives me a few more outs. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna shove it in and hope. Yeah, he no, I think I think I should have, and I think I may have been playing too many tables and kind of maybe didn't know what, where I was uh, at this point or like. If I was being the aggressor, I kind of maybe lost my uh, train of thought. Um, that happens. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we both checked. The river's a queen. Um, so I don't know if I have um, pocket queens in my range. I feel like I might. Um, or even like pocket kings or aces still. Um, I think I could still have all those in my range at least some percent of the time. Um but again, I didn't know what to to make of of his call with preflop, his call on the flop, check on the turn. I didn't know at all what he had. Um, so my options now are to bet like small, um, and if he calls, leave myself something to try to grind my way back, or to shove and try to get him to fold out like closer to the top of his range. Not, and I I don't know how much king x he has. Probably not a whole lot now at this point. Um, but I thought I could represent like maybe like an ace queen. Um, yeah. Before you tell us what you did here, and, and I agree, you have ace queen, you have queen queen, um, you certainly have 
I, I think you have those hands, especially because his f- flop call is so strong. Mm-hmm. I think if I had uh, pocket queens, I might just check. I don't know if I would fold yet if he made a small bet on the on the on the turn. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that his his flop call might slow me down if I had a pair below kings, including queens. Yeah, um, I think of your two options. Well, your your three options, right? We can check, give up, we can bet small, or we can shove. Mm-hmm. In this spot, it's kind of a weird spot, but I think that I prefer a smaller bet mm-hmm. and leave yourself a few just in case, because like really his range feels like he's probably got something like. I don't know, pocket nines? Uh, well, yeah, nines would be... Um, I don't remember yes. the flop, but... Some it was, kind yeah, of I, would, I was going to I was gonna say eights, but you were right, because it's five, nine, king. Yeah, so eights, flop. yeah. Something yeah. like eights, yeah. And I have a seven, so I block sevens. So it could still be sevens, but... So, so yeah. something like that. Eights, like nine, eight suited. Yeah, uh, and, and they don't want to call again. Even a smaller bet, they don't really want to call again. Yeah. Um, Especially because if you look at it, like three bet in pre, and then betting the flop, and then checking the turn, and then betting the river, that's not really a bluff line, if you yeah. think about it. That's not a yeah. line many of us take when we are bluffing, right? Yeah, bet check, bet line is usually going to be value. some kind of value. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, I went with the, uh, again, since I didn't know at all where I was at, I went with the smaller sizing. Good. Uh, and not super small, you know, something to get them to fold, like, you know, the 8s, yeah. the, the 9x. Um, so I bet 148.5 into 440. Um, and if I recall, this left me uh, like just under 100k. So like it left me looks like five or six big blinds. Um, if if I were to get called and lose. Um, so yeah, I bet. And he, if I recall, he he snap folded. <laughs> True. So, <laughs> yeah, so we're making that bet and we're just like, please fold, please fold, and then he snap folded. So you're like, okay, great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that's a really well thought out hand with really excellent um, hand reading, mm-hmm. because we can pretty much rule out ace king, and yeah. because uh, when he checks back on the turn, he definitely doesn't have a king, and because that queen is probably not hitting him too hard either. Mm-hmm. I just think this is a, you. You can't check again. Yeah, I mean, I lose if I check. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm curious what he had. I know, um, I don't know if he's gonna see this or not, but um, but we played another similar spot shortly uh, after. Very, very, very similar. Oh, good. Let's uh, do one more. Let's hear the okay. other. Yeah, go ahead. Um, but again, he he ended up chipping up a little bit. So he he was down to looks like uh, 19 bigs or so after the sand, 18 or 19. Um, and so he chipped back up. And now we're getting closer to the final table. Um, let me find it here. I had Ace Nine Offsuit. Here it is. Uh, let me pull it up. So I think this is ten left. There's five at my table. I'm pretty sure there's ten left. So we're on this, the final table bubble. And the tensions are high. Yes. Nobody <laughs> wants to bubble the final table. There's a guy sitting here with one and a half big blinds. Yeah. So I'm at I'm at uh, I can do whatever I want. I have the table covered. I have 2.4 million at at 30,000, 60,000. One Dull Geek has uh, 21 big blinds, 12, uh, 1.26 mil. The guy behind him has 19 bigs. The small blind, like I said, has one and a half big blinds, and the uh, the big blind has 18 big blinds. 
Okay. So I can do whatever I want to these bigger stocks because there's a guy sitting here with one and a half big blinds. Right. And does the uh, money start at ninth place? Do you remember? Oh, no. We were already in the money. Oh, it was already in the money by then. Okay. We, uh, if I, I'm looking here, yeah, top 18 paid. Top 18. Okay. And, and you know, actually, like, looking back, like, it, I'm doing, I'm making these plays in bigger tournaments where the money actually matters. <laughs> um, so... So I'm trying to bully these guys off like a few bucks, like <laughs> you know, $7. looking back at it. Yeah, and I'm like, well, well shit, like, uh, am I getting a little too aggressive? Like, um, But I still think, like, making the final table in this particular tournament had a little significance. So I was, you know, happy to, to still be a little overly aggressive. Um, so he opens um, to 2.2x, 132,000, you know, five-handed. I have ace nine suited, or sorry, ace nine offsuit on the button, and I three bet. And it, my sizing is going to be pretty similar to that to that one earlier, um, just because I don't need to size up at all uh, when people are opening off twenty bigs. They're put into a really tough spot facing a three bet uh, off twenty big blinds. It's really hard to just flat and go to yeah, a flop. Yeah, because your three bet is basically a third of his stack. So yeah, does he really want to call? I don't think right. so. Yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I'm not risking like so much to where I have to call off free flop. Uh, so I went. Um, he opened a 132. A 3x would have been close to like 400. Um, I three bet to 354,000. And uh, blinds fold. The guy now has a big blind in the small blind. <laughs> and uh, and and Mark calls. And so he left himself just over pot, like 1.1 x pot. Okay, so now when, you know, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, like in the old days, you just didn't flat a three bet from out of position. Like that's just not something we did. That mm -hmm. was like the sign of a bad player. Right. Obviously it's changed as sizing has changed. Because it used to be like you'd open the three X and then you get three bet to fifteen X. <laughs> so yeah, you know, like that's a different time. Like now right. the, the wisdom is different. Like he was actually getting, you know, a moderately good price to to call. You know, he will be out of position, and even though he's very close to pot commitment, as yeah. far as his stack is concerned. Um, yeah. But what do you think his flatting range should be here? Um. Or do you think he should just not have one? I don't think he should really have much of one, um, and I think if he is going to flat it, like it's it's really hard here. Like you put yourself in so many difficult spots. Um, I think so many flats would play better as just like four bet all ins, yeah. especially a player against a player like me who is very capable of three betting you light uh, on the bubble here. I know it's scary, you know, if you're playing for for bigger money. Sometimes you don't want to, but uh, sometimes you just have to. Um, and I think like me giving off the illusion of no fold equity preflop would scare them into shoving, so that's why they're a little bit hesitant to do that. Um, so I think something like maybe like Jack-10 suited, you know, like those Broadway suited hands. Right, um, you don't really want to get all in preflop, but you, you can smack so many flops and yeah. then be willing to go broke from there. Yeah, that's that's probably what I would say too. Like that type uh, of range, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if we want to start trapping here, like with aces and kings. Sometimes, if we think our opponent's going to fold preflop. Well, I mean, from um, you know, from a theoretical perspective, you can't just flat the jack ten, queen jack right. suited. You have to occasionally mix in 
um, you know, a trap, but I think that in practice, few of us do. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I, I guess if you want to be able to flat here, then you do have to, you do have to do that. Like you just said, so yeah. some, at least some of the time. Um, so again, I didn't really know where to put him at. He, he I don't know if he's just flatting like way too wide off these stacks or uh, uh, I didn't know. Um, a hand like Jack 10 suited, 10, nine suited would make sense here. Yeah. I did block the nine. So maybe less of the nine X, uh, like, 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 like last time. Um, so now, since he has 1.1 X pot, I'm at a really tough spot here. You know, I didn't expect him to flat pre-flop very often. Um, but if I bet, it's going to have to be like one fourth, um, which is probably what I would do with you know the top of my range as well. Um, but I didn't really, I didn't really want to get in a spot where he can just easily um, check shove uh, versus like uh, any sizing I choose. Um, and I don't think I have the proper hand to see that with either. Um, I think having ace nine, I don't really block any of those like Broadway, the queen X that he could be flatting with, you know, like kind of like, um, kind of like last time, like the king queen, um, or I guess it would have been the hand before that. But anyway, right. so he has, he has all the queen X. He has so the what king, is the flop queen, queen again? Queen seven, five, two clubs. Okay. I have the ace of clubs. Right. So other than I, that ace of clubs, we whiffed with our ace nine. Yeah, I think if I were deeper, I could start c betting and then uh, eventually represent uh, the flush um, once we get to the river. If you know third club comes in, um, but for now I can't really I can't really do that uh, just because we're not deep enough. Um, but yeah, like I said, I think he has all the king queen queen jack queen ten suiteds. Yeah, so I, I don't know, maybe. Maybe this is a spot where I should be more aggressive, but my instinct is to check back. Yes. Here. I feel like yeah. I can pick up some draws on the turn, keep this mm-hmm. pot as small as possible. But like you say, we were never expecting to get flatted here uh, right. off of these stack sizes. If you do bet, he can check shove a lot, whether yeah. he has something or not, and that just puts us in so many horrible spots. Right. Um, just because we three bet... And this is something I need to learn, so I'm going to say it out loud anyway. <laughs> just because we just because we three three bet before the flop doesn't mean we have to do a continuation continuation bet on the flop, especially because this flop isn't one of the better flops for our hand. It kind yeah. of smacks him because you say he has a lot of queen x queen jack, yeah. maybe even king queen suited queen ten suited could be there. Yeah. I don't think it should, but it could be. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I I think checking back here and just maybe doing a delayed continuation bet. Yeah. If he checks again on fourth street, then I think I feel more comfortable putting in like three bigs and seeing what happens. Right. Yeah. So I checked, uh, as well. Great. Turn was a 10. Uh, so probably an even worse card than the, uh, than the queen 10 of spades. So the board is now queen seven, five, 10, Two spades, two clubs. Yeah, another awful card for us. Yeah. Um, He checks. Um, Again, I have a decision. And uh, again, I think this this card fits his range way better than ours. 
um, or his plotting range, and I don't think I can really bet here. No, I give up. Uh, I give up right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, done yeah, with this I'm one. Just, I'm done. <laughs> you in the hand. You put in that one big blind, and I'm done. I may pay you off for one big blind, but yeah, yeah. put in any amount, and I'm probably just done. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a give up to me at this point. Um, so I check. River is the eight of clubs. And so, so again, we always give the final board because it's hard when people are listening to a podcast. Right, so yeah, I no, get it. Queen, seven, five, ten, eight. Yes, three clubs, two spades. Right, and we have the ace of clubs, so we, clubs. we have the blocker for the nut flush for what it's worth. Yes. Um, so he checks again. Um, and now this time it's hard for me to represent a, yeah. a flush. I would have just bet called on the flop. Sure. Um, but I know he doesn't have the flush. <laughs> right, he never <laughs> has the a ace flush. high flush. Yeah. Uh, and and I can't win the hand unless I bet. Um, yeah, so there's I have no to way. A sizing. Yeah, there's no way ace nine is good, and we can only win by betting. But the question to yeah. me still becomes: just because the only way we can win by betting, that doesn't mean we have a good chance of winning by betting. Right. <laughs> it just yeah. means it's better than our chance of winning by checking, which is basically zero. Right. Uh, um, so I didn't. I I just went ahead and shoved. Um, I know it's hard. Like I said, it's hard for me to represent a flush at this point, but. Um, He's just shown so much weakness that I didn't know where, like, what he's flatting with. The only hand that makes sense would be like King Jack, but that I, I already beat that hand, um, and he should have. I don't know if he should have shoved turn or he definitely should have bet river or something. Um, if he if he just has King Jack, um, but yeah, I I thought uh, all in here, even though it's just pot. You know, it's a pretty significant portion of my stack. Would get the job done, um, and if he's trapping, then well played. Nice hand, yeah. If he's trapping, <laughs> yeah. nice hand, yeah. If he, um, you know, he can. St- I think he should still be calling with, uh, you know, like a jack ten here now. Uh, that that would be second pair. Um, but I guess I could still have like, I could still potentially have jacks or, um. Maybe like uh, Ace Ten suited or, or whatever Ace Ten offsuit or any Ten X for value. I think you could have pocket um, eights as well. Maybe pocket pocket eights. Yeah. Um, there's not going to be too many traps for me. I don't think. Um, but yeah, again, he just showed so much weakness that I thought an all in would, would work. Um, and again, we're on the final table bubble, so he has to uh, he has to have a pretty strong hand here, I think, to call off. Um, I love if this story would end with you saying, yeah, and he snap called with deuces. <laughs> right. My hand does not make any sense. And for me, if I'm in his shoes, I don't know what he has, but if if a hand doesn't make sense to me, I'm probably putting my chips in. Yeah, especially nowadays because people are looking for bluffs in a way that they never have in human history. Uh-huh. You know, people are looking for spots to bluff. Uh, yeah. you know, Poker for about 10 years was – so tight and just so easy to run over people and mm-hmm. i think that things have like the pendulum has swung the other way and I, yeah. I just see people hold on to top pair for dear life nowadays like you cannot bluff people like you could five or six years ago right so, yeah <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah um, um yeah so he folded again i think he folded quicker than last time Wow. Um, wow. So, it almost makes me want to get him on the podcast and be like, why did yeah. you let this guy run you over like 
right? <laughs> yeah, so those, you know, those are hands that um, I think my particular style, I'll always try to find those spots, um, whether it's coming up on the money bubble or the final table bubble, you know, to find those right stacks to pick on. Um, people that are opening too much um, and people that can't really um, face that, you know, like for putting like all of their chips at risk, you know, like when you have like under 30 big blinds uh, and you're, you know, getting close to the final table, like you don't want to start putting in chips, like especially like out of position, um, you know, with like marginal hands. So, so that's definitely one of, uh, uh, um, I guess, a strategy I'll use. Uh, very often. Absolutely. Well, I can tell you, uh, you know, I can just hear from talking to you about the game, you still have a lot of love for the game mm-hmm. after all these years in the game yeah. and you know, building up from from those dollar tournaments you played way back in the day, mm-hmm. um, you know, to playing at the high level you are now where you can, you know, make all of these more sophisticated plays and the way that you approach the game with yeah. your hand reading and, and everything. It's, it's really nice to, uh, you know, talk to a pro that's still uh, you know, kind of has love for it. You know, you don't sound at all jaded or, or tired of poker. And, yeah, it's nice. It's nice. It's refreshing for me to, to talk to somebody like you that's still kind of in love with the game that I love so much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, thank you. It's nice to hear that as well. I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, it comes through. And, it you know, it came through in the way that you played that tournament and you, you tried to win it. You played for first place, which, as all of our listeners will tell you, is something that I... I'm constantly pounding the table on. Like I don't, I don't overemphasize ICM. In fact, I probably underemphasize yeah. it. And whether it's a one dollar tournament or the ten thousand dollar main event, like I try to win. So, um, you right. know, I like I like that you take these spots and you try to build your stack for that final table and put pressure on a player that has not only shown that he plays maybe more hands than the average player, but that he's also showing a lot of weakness by checking back. You know, checking to you now three times. So mm-hmm. let's just shove and see if he's got the, <laughs> yeah. got, the got the marbles. <laughs> Does call. he have enough to call? I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, you know what I'd love to do if you're interested. I'd love to have you back on maybe after that new series comes out that Diego mentioned. Would you be okay. up for that? Yeah, for sure. Terrific. Yeah. yeah Anything else you a... want people to know about you, like where they can um, find you on Twitter, or do you do you Twitch stream? Or are you like incognito? Uh, yeah, no, I, I've, man, I've been thinking about Twitch streaming for years now, and I just can't pull the trigger for whatever reason. I don't know. I, I think it's like just putting myself out there like that. Um, I, I don't. I just don't know how I would take it. How you know? I'm like, I'm kind of a person that is uh, kind of takes rejection a little bit too harshly on myself. I think so. If I weren't to get a, a big following, like probably early, that it would be just just dis- discouraging. Uh, and I wouldn't enjoy it. Um, so I'm not streaming right now, um, but I'm on Twitter uh, at the Dylan186 um, on the forums uh, here and there. Um, okay, now hold on, on t- t- hold on. Forums. If you're if you're if you're not comfortable with rejection, what the hell are you doing on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> Again, I try not to put myself out there too much on Twitter, so I, so I don't feel that rejection. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I get that for sure. <laughs> and you're you're active in the uh, forums on on TPE? Uh, not not super active. Um, yeah, I wish I wish it did have a little bit more traffic. But I'm I'm on there here and there. I'll post. Um, you know, if somebody has a, a question about a hand, I'll post. I'll post sometimes uh, if I get around to it. 
Very cool. Um, very cool. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah, get so back with that. us when you when that new series comes out, and we can have okay. you on to talk about it and and maybe go over some other hands, not only from this one dollar tournament, but maybe for some bigger ones that yeah. you've been playing. So, for you know, sure, yeah. There's there's so many different uh, things that come uh, come along on that video, like just different, so many different hands and concepts and strategies. It's a really good video, and I'm I'm looking forward to it and and some of the feedback that that comes with it. Well, I'm excited to watch it too. So. Uh, Dylan, thank you so much cool. for being here on the podcast. Look forward to having you back on. And so for Dylan Thomasy and for everyone else here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening.